We're going to talk this morning about God's love for you and whether or not you truly believe it. Okay? The, the title of the message is God Loves You. Do you believe it? And you know what, guys? I'll be honest. I have complete confidence in the message from Scripture, but I don't have a lot of confidence in the messenger. And so would you bow with me in prayer? And let's just go before the Lord and ask Him to speak to us. Just join me in prayer, would you? Father God, we just come before You because we want to hear from You. Father, we came to this church because we we want to know You. And we want to know the real You. And so we pray this morning that You would speak to us. That not a single person in this room would leave this place the same as when we got here. Because You have shown up and You are directing us and guiding us and informing us. I pray that we would not be distracted. But God, that we would truly hear from You through Your Word. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, Let's see, I grew up in Montana. I was the youngest of eight kids. My dad died when I was a year old, so my mom raised us all on her own, and I was number eight. And if anybody ever wants to know, like, what's it like to be the youngest of eight kids, I'll give you a little piece of my life. I always thought the bananas were supposed to be brown. Because I always got the eighth choice. So I always thought they were supposed to be brown with little yellow spots. It wasn't until I was like 13 years old I discovered that bananas were supposed to be yellow. But anyway, I grew up in Montana. I moved to uh, California in 1986 with a film degree, motion picture film degree, and I got into the film business, and I I spent 15 years in the motion picture business. About three and a half years ago, uh, my wife and I decided to go into full-time ministry. So we immediately signed up for seminary. Not that that's necessary, but we did, uh, because I just wanted to get to know God and get to know Him through His Word. And I graduated Friday, two days ago. Praise God. It was only by God's grace, if you know me at all, that I graduated. But anyway, I did. Um, And now I... um, uh, And I work work at Cornerstone. I work here part-time as the um, outreach director. Now, um, this morning, I want to talk about our belief systems because we really believe all kinds of stuff. In fact, everybody in this room has different beliefs about virtually any subject, especially the subject of God. But what are those beliefs in your mind that are magnificent? There's some beliefs that are minor, that really don't impact anything. Some that are false, some that are correct. Let me give you a couple of examples of of beliefs in my life. well, just beliefs, period. Y2K. Many of us thought that when Y2K happened, the economy of America was going to crash. Okay, so a lot of people went out and they bought all kinds of stuff, and they, I mean, went to different extremes to to provide for themselves and take care of themselves. And some people didn't do anything, but they really didn't buy into it because our beliefs are different. Another one, um, my friend Bobby. My, my friend Bobby from the movie business, he believes that a little more money is going to make him happy. He's a very wealthy person. But he believes strongly that if he makes a little more money, that will finally bring him happiness. 
It's another belief. Um, what about future beliefs? Things that could happen in the future. If you found out today, somehow, that on Monday at noon, there was going to be a 10-point earthquake right here in Simi Valley. Okay, your, your belief would motivate an action, I would think. You'd probably gather your family, you'd gather your important stuff, valuable stuff, and you'd probably get out of town because your belief motivates your actions. So what we want to decide this morning is, what do we truly believe in? Now, there's also false beliefs. Think about that. I'll give you an example. I told you a little bit about my family when I was young. I'll tell you about my mother a little bit. My mother was known to all my friends as the Sarge. Okay, she was like, she was, my friends were afraid of my mother. Nobody wanted to come over to my house because they were afraid of my mother. Now, let me tell you about something that happened to me when I was in fourth grade. In fourth grade, my kids are here. I told them that they had to come to listen to me. Um, in fourth grade, I, um, me and a couple of my delinquent friends went out into a parking lot and we stole uh, car emblems off of these cars. You know, like we had these Mercedes things and the you know Chevrolet emblems and all this. Yeah, you know. And, um, and we thought this was so cool. We put these in our backpacks and we were, thought we were so cool around around the, the school. And a couple of days later, in walks into our classroom two policemen fully dressed. And we're like, oh. And we were so busted. They identified the four of us, took us to the principal's office, and I'm sitting there thinking, this one might truly push my mom over the edge. I think she may actually kill me. No, I'm serious. I actually was thinking as a fourth grader, my mom may kill me. Now, as I grew up, I realized that was a ridiculous thought, that that's just what you think as a fourth, well, almost a ridiculous thought, but my mom was tough. But that was a ridiculous thought, because my mom loves me, right? What's another false belief that you might have? I'll tell you another one of mine as I grew older. When I was in high school, I, I grew up going to church every Sunday. We never missed church. And I went to parochial schools all the way through. I was the youngest of eight, followed in all of their footsteps. My mom was the first graduate from the high school, first class. And however many years later, I was a graduate from that high school. <clears throat> but I remember my high school religion teacher teaching us about the Bible. And what, what was taught was that the Bible was a great book of moral teachings. But the Bible had problems. I mean, it was not, certainly not without error. There were inconsistencies, there were translational problems, there were, um, there were problems. It could not be taken literally. So that's what I believed, right? Because that's what the teacher said. So I lived my life from then on believing, in, believing that this was true. When I got to Hollywood and I got into the business, I, I, um, a friend of mine, a born-again, one of those born-agains, you know, he approached me one day and he said, we, talk, we started talking about the Bible, and I said, well, come on, you can't trust the Bible to be true. I mean, it's got all kinds of contradictions and problems and errors, this and that. And he goes, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you find me one. I said, no problem. So I went home. Hours turned into days. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And months turned into years that I was convinced I was going to find those errors, and I've never found them. You see how these beliefs of ours 
We've got to be so careful what we consider to be true. Where do you get your source of information? Especially about something so eternal as Scripture. So many people get their information about the Bible from the L.A. Times. I mean, what a joke that is. We need to get our information about Scripture from Scripture. You know, everybody in this room has a different perspective of God. Everybody in this room sees God differently based on our beliefs and based on our past and what we bring into this room. Some of us grew up in different types of religions. Some of us grew up not knowing anything about the Bible. But the fact is that every one of us sees God slightly different. And what we want to do as a church called Cornerstone, we want to help every person have an accurate picture of God. That's in our mission statement, to give every person an accurate picture of God. Now, how do we do that? Do we do that by sharing our opinion? No, that's called subjective truth. No, we do it by objective truth, truth that doesn't change. And you see, Scripture hasn't changed. <clears throat> 2,000 years, and hasn't changed at all. If you don't believe me, great! Go find out for yourself. Start doing the research to convince yourself of the truth. I'm not afraid to say that because I've done it. And I cannot find any sort of problems with Scripture. In fact, the more I study it, the more I'm convinced. We're going to break down the sentence this morning. God loves you. Do you believe it? In your bulletin is a little sermon notes white sheet that will walk you through with me. We're going to talk about God's love. First, first half of that phrase is God loves you. So in order to understand that phrase, God loves you, we need to learn about God and we need to learn about you. So here we go. What does the Bible tell us about God? And what does the Bible tell us about ourselves? First of all, the Bible tells us about that God is holy and just. Holy means he's absolutely perfect. He's set apart. He's without error. He can't even be in fellowship with sin. Think about it. As God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, He was in fellowship with them until they, what? Sin. And He could no longer be in fellowship. He separated Himself from sin. That's holiness. He's absolutely perfect. Secondly, the Bible tells us that God is just. Just means He must punish every sin you've ever committed. Otherwise, he would not be just. Now, let me try to paint a picture here. What if a guy was driving down L.A. Boulevard and he ran through a stoplight and the police caught him and three weeks later he's standing before the judge and the judge says, okay, you're caught, you're guilty. Do you have anything to say before I give you your sentence? Now, what if the guy said, well, judge, I'm sorry, should the judge go, oh, you're sorry. Oh, okay, you can go. Would that be ridiculous? Then why do we expect that from God? God is perfectly just, which means he will never compromise on his justice. Now, what if that person said, well, well, judge, I've gone through 380 green lights. In other words, I've done lots of good. Does that negate the crime? Does that wipe away the crime? 
No, it's ridiculous. Of course it doesn't. The judge has to punish him for his crime. And God, again, is perfectly just. He must punish every sin by His very nature. Okay? God is holy and God is just. Let's talk about us, mankind. What does the Bible tell us about us? The Bible tells us that God created us and that we have chosen to fall away from Him. We have chosen lawlessness, otherwise known as sin. Sin is doing things your own way and turning away from God. It's called lawlessness. Now, we're all guilty. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, for some of you who are going, Yeah, but Johnny, I'm not that bad. Come on. God will grade on the curve and I'll be okay. Okay, well, let's talk about that. You see, because God gave us something to help us to understand our sin. It's called the law. Romans 7, 7 says, I would not have known what, law, what, what sin was except through the law. Romans 3.20 says, Through the law we become conscience, conscious of our sin. The law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. So if we want to be real with our beliefs and we want to be honest with ourselves, we have to go through the law with ourselves. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? Are we perfect? Because that's what God's standard is, is perfection. So let's go through a few of the laws. Let's go through the Ninth Commandment. Have you ever told a lie? If you've told a lie before, you would be a, a liar. About 50%, okay? Let me say the question again. And don't say it if you don't believe it. i got nine others. If you've lied before, ever in your life, you would be a Thank you. How about the Eighth Commandment? Have you ever stolen anything? doesn't matter if it's value. doesn't matter how many times. Have you ever stolen anything? If you've stolen something before, you would be a thief. Stealer, yes, thief. How about the Third Commandment? Have you ever used God's name inappropriately? Have you ever used God's name in vain? The Bible calls that blasphemy. Nowhere in the fine print does it say, only when you were young, by the way. Okay? Ever. Have you ever broken the Tenth Commandment? Thou shalt not covet. That means desiring something more than you desire God. Have you ever done that in your life? So if you're honest with me, which I'm not sure if I can trust you because you've all said you weren't, you're liars. But anyway, uh, if you're honest with yourself, you will admit that you're a lying, thieving blaspheming covetor. And we've only gone through four of the commandments. God is holy and God is just. Man is sinful and by nature cannot be in fellowship with God. See the problem? We've got a serious problem here. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. Because of God's love, He did something for you to solve your problem. God sent His Son 
to die on a cross to, to pay the punishment that you deserve. You see, what we deserve because we've sinned against God is eternal wrath. I know that's not easy to hear. We deserve hell. But God, because He loves us, He sent His Son to pay the price that we deserve. He came, hung on the cross, took all of, all of our punishment if we will accept what He did. You see, God loves you. Whether or not you believe it is your deal. But you see, God loves you so much, He doesn't just say it with His words. God shows it. Think about it. What more could God have done for you? I mean, think about it. What would you like more than that? A billion dollars? No, that would have happened just like that. Okay, no problem. Bam, done. How hard would that be for God? No, He went to the extreme of love and sacrificed Himself. That's love. Let's talk about other ways that God manifests His love to us in your white sermon notes there on the left. God demonstrates His love. First one is, greater love has no one than this than He laid down His life for His friends. Romans 5, 8, and 9. God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, We didn't go to Him and say, please, He came to us and said, I'll take care of it. We weren't smart enough to do that. That's love. He demonstrates His love. second one is God offers us peace. So He did what He did on the cross, which is the greatest act of love in human history. Second love, or second part, is that He offers us peace. Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You know what's so cool about God? is that He doesn't want you to live a life of fear. Okay, think about it. A human father, would he want his son to live a life of fear? No, he'd want his son to have a life of peace. Well, God loves you so much that he wants you to live a life of peace. You know, it's, it's interesting why it is that Christians have such a hard time saying, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. Why is it that we have a hard time with that? Is it like a sense of arrogance? What do you think? I believe it's because we claim some of the responsibility. And you see, we, don't, we shouldn't claim any responsibility. It's what He did on the cross completely that saves us. It's not Jesus plus fill in the blanks. It's Jesus. I have complete confidence, guys, that I'm going to heaven when I die complete confidence. Not because I'm a good person. Because I'm not. It's because of what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. Is that cool? And He wants you to be at peace. Another way that God shows us His love is that He provides His written Word to instruct us. So many of us, we go around saying, oh, the Bible is such a bummer. I got it. Well, the Bible says it. I got it. No. The Bible is given by God for, to instruct you to have a wonderful life. The problem is, is that we choose our own way instead of God's way. Think about it. 
you're, you're sitting in the face of sin. Okay? Pick your sin in your life. Well, you have a choice right now. My way, instant gratification, or God's way. You're making a choice, and your beliefs are being revealed on the spot. Do you believe that God's ways are better or that your ways are better? Pick your sin. I'll pick on a couple. You're sitting in front of the monitor of the computer, and you have a choice whether to go there or not. And if you go there, what you're saying is, I believe my ways are better than God's ways. Let's be honest. When you're watching television, you're making a decision with what you watch. Instant gratification or God's ways. God loves you. And He wants you to have a wonderful, amazing life. The question is, do you believe it? Because your beliefs, your actions reveal your beliefs. You are motivated with your actions by your beliefs. Last one there is, God gives everything we need. God gives everything we need. Bottom left, Matthew 6.25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, about you, what you will wear. Is life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? This father of yours and mine wants you to know that he will provide for your every need. Every physical need he will provide for. Now see, there's a big difference between need and want. Because he knows what's best for you. He, will, he promises to provide for your every need. That is a loving God. God demonstrates his love for us. He doesn't just say it. Okay, now let's go to the other side. The question is, do you believe it? You see, your belief in what Christ did on that cross is directly proportionate to your belief of how bad you think you are. Okay? Let me, let me illustrate that like this. If you believe that you are this bad as you go through the law and you judge yourself, you believe that what Christ did on the cross is of equal value. Right? Okay? If you consider yourself this bad you appreciate what Christ did on the cross equally as much. You see, when Jesus was walking the earth, who did he have the biggest problems with? The Pharisees, the righteous ones, the self-righteous. They did all of these things to, to say, look at how good I am. And Jesus said, the law to the proud, grace to the humble. How much do you appreciate Jesus is directly proportionate to how bad you see yourself. And we're bad because God's standard is perfect. I know that's not comfortable here. We've got to be real with ourselves. But God doesn't want you to go to hell. God wants you to be with Him for eternity. So do you believe? Do you believe that we are made self-righteous or do you believe that we're made righteous through Christ? You see, self-righteousness is you earning your way. Christ's righteousness is saying, yes, I accept what you did on that cross. 
big difference. Do you believe that every good thing is from God? Do you believe that your ways are better than God's ways? Or do you believe that God's ways are better than your ways? Now wait, before you answer, amen, Johnny, yeah, amen, let, let's, let's do a little illustration. Let's say that these Hollywood producers came to you and they said, look, we're going to do a new reality show in the fall and we've chosen you to be on it. You're like, whoa. Now here's what we've done. For the last month, we've videotaped your whole life. We've been in the bushes, we've been in the trees, we've been in the bathroom. We've been everywhere. I didn't mean to say that. I don't know why I said that. I, I meant like in the bathroom, bathtub, like... Uh, but we've been watching you closely for the last month. We've videotaped everything. And what we're going to do is we're going to play that video to a live studio audience and to the world via television. And we're going to have them answer the question... What does this person believe in? What motivates this person? What makes them excited? What drives their boat? Well, what would be concluded about your life? What do you get excited about? Are you a person that gets excited about God? Oh my gosh, this person always talks about God and God's love. Would that be you? Or would, you, would, would, would it be you that they say, that guy is so passionate about baseball. That person is so passionate about his, about his daughter's softball team that he, that he yells at the other coach. That he yells and screams at the umpire. Oh, that guy is passionate. You know, when I, I, I evangelize to people, the biggest struggle I have when I go out the street evangelizing is people have such hang-ups about Christianity because of the hypocrisy. I'm getting emotional because it hurts me so much. Not because it hurts me. Not because it hurts Cornerstone. It, it's because it hurts the cause of Christ. Does that mean we're never going to sin, guys? Of course not. It doesn't mean it's an excuse to sin. But do, what, what do you believe in? What drives you? I don't want you to be a part of the conversation that goes like this that's written about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You know, did I... Ushers, can you guys bring the Bibles forward if... If we have some Bibles, if you want a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to really start to get into some Scripture here. Um, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not do miracles? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Guys, I just want us to be intellectually honest with ourselves. Do we really believe this stuff? Because your actions reveal your beliefs. 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his book, you'll turn to James 2, tells us, explains to us the difference between a person who has living faith and a person who has dead faith. You see, if you're honest with yourself, you're either growing in your faith or you're dying in your faith. It's your choice, it's, it's, but you have to be honest. And the way I look at it is, consider this. What do we have? We have 24 hours in a day. You sleep an average of 8 hours, right? So you have like 16 hours a day. Let's say you're like super Christian, and you spend like 2 hours or 3 hours in the morning in study of God's Word and prayer. That means you have 13 hours a day that you're being influenced by non-Christian perspective if you work out in the secular world. Now, logically speaking, fellow adults, you better be in the Word. You better be in fellowship. Otherwise, Satan is out there constantly pulling you, man. So logically speaking, we've got to be in God's Word. Okay, let's, let's go to James. James 2, 14 through 26. And again, James is going to tell us the difference between living faith and dead faith. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith? It doesn't say he has faith. It says he claims to have faith. But has no deed, meaning external evidence of his faith. Well, and it says, can such faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. Like, duh! Can such a faith save him? A non-real faith? James 2.15 Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? James is comparing the words of compassion to the acts of compassion. It's easy to talk, isn't it? It's easy to say, ah, 2.17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Guys, faith without works is an empty faith. It's not a genuine faith. Be real. 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. James is saying, hey, you talk the talk, walk the walk. 2.19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons believe, guys, that God exists and they shudder. They're scared because they know what's coming. They know that there's a wrath that is to come. They refuse to submit to God's plan. James 2.20, you foolish man, literally interpreted, you empty, defective, fraudulent man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James now gives us a couple of examples of how faith is accompanied by works. James 2.21 Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? Now, read Romans 4, not now, later, and that will tell you exactly how 
Abraham was justified, how he was saved, and it was because of his faith. Okay? You see that this, verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. 224. You see that a person is justified by what he did, or what he does, and not by faith alone. Now here's an example of where we need to get into the context of Scripture. Context, using all of Scripture to help us to decide what our doctrine is. Because you can easily misinterpret that Scripture. But we know from context about, we know that James says earlier that salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God. You can't earn a gift. We learn that in verse uh, 117 and many other places in Scripture, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, etc. second thing we know is that verse 23, James quotes Genesis 15, 6, which says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. His belief is what made him righteous. And thirdly, the work of Abraham by offering Isaac on the altar was done years after God declared Abraham righteous by his belief. So we know that James isn't teaching that you're saved by works, but we know that James is saying there's a very close relationship between faith and works. Continuing on in verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off to a different direction? And finally, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James is talking about here an apparent faith. He's comparing an apparent faith versus a real faith. He's not saying that you're saved by works. He's just saying that your faith will be accompanied by works. Does anybody in here know what the word cleavage means? Hey, easy, easy, easy. Do you know what the word cleavage means? Cleavage is actually the division of two... I shouldn't use my hands like that. The division of two things. Two things that are divided. We see one of my Bible encyclopedias said, under this verse, it says, there should be no cleavage between works and faith. There should be no division. So next time you think of the word cleavage, hopefully you'll think about works and faith. Verse 222 of James summarizes it all. It's on your sheet. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So perhaps another way to phrase the question this morning is, how do you respond to God's love for you? Hopefully I've given a, a good argument that God loves you. He's crazy about you. He doesn't just say it. He demonstrated it so clearly. The question is, do you believe it? I'm going to tell you a story real quick about uh, my daughter. My daughter, Alyssa. Are you in here, honey? Oh, hi, Liz. We say hi to Alyssa. I asked her to, to leave for this, but 
Melissa, we brought into our home about a year ago. We, we, um, we were pursuing an adoption from Russia. And while we were pursuing it, we got a call from an agency, and they said, look, we've got this little girl. She's uh, two and a half. She was adopted by an American family nine months ago, and they no longer want her. They, don't, they want to give her back. They, there, there's something wrong with her, and they don't want her anymore. Are you guys interested? And boy, is that a loaded question. So we said, well... They said, would you come out and meet her? And so we came out to meet her. Within five days, she's in our home permanently. So cute, you know? But anyway, um, let me tell you about Lissa. She grew up in an orphanage in the eastern side of Russia, in the middle of nowhere. We found out about this orphanage. This is one of those places where they literally tie a strap to the, per- to the child, a baby's ankle, and strap him down to a mattress. The, the, the girl, this was never held as a child. Can you imagine that? Anybody who's got kids, can you imagine never being held? They cry. We respond as adults, as people that love them. Can you imagine a little person who was never given that sort of attention? Well, as when we got Lissa, we learned quickly that she doesn't trust anybody. She's completely independent. In fact, we learned that she doesn't even know what trust is. She's so independent. And I can tell you story after story about that. You know, if there was a crash or, or you know, like in a, a restaurant or something, she would go and hide in, by herself instead of coming to us. It's just so sad. The thing is, is what we learned, the reason I tell you this story, is what we learned from Lissa, God opened our eyes about our own hearts. You see, what we learned was, is that we don't really trust God. God who is the creator of the world and has the world to give us and loves us, is crazy about us, we say to him, Lord, I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. I got it. I got it. Just how ludicrous that is that this little three-year-old girl thinks that she can take better care of herself than we can. Just how crazy that is. But isn't that kind of what we do when we choose to say, Lord, no, I've got this one. I'll take care of it. I'll do it the way I want to. God loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants you to have an amazing life. The question is, do you believe it? I'm going to give you five applications. I'm going to go through them really quick. Depending on where you're at in your life. Because we're all different in here. Some are, have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. Some have heard the gospel message of God's holiness and God's justice and the fact that we are sinners and that Christ died on the cross for our sins. It's the first time it really penetrated your heart. So I'm going to give five different applications depending on where you're at. So hopefully one of these you will jot down and you will pursue. You, you will pursue. The first one is, have you ever accepted what Christ did on the cross for your salvation. You see, we've, we've discussed that we are not good. We've, we're, we're, we cannot be in fellowship with a perfectly holy God. But what Christ did is He came and died so that we may, might have eternal life. Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever decided to follow Him? And make Him not only your Savior, the one who saves you from hell, but your Lord, Lord meaning Master, the one that you choose to follow that you desire to follow. Isn't it cool that the master of our lives 
is a person that loves us? I mean, think about it. could be different. But that's the case. He loves us. Second application. Get baptized. Ephesians, or I mean, Acts 22.16 says, And now, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized. Have you ever been baptized? This is the first application of your faith. I believe, which is a verb. You do an action. The first thing that the Bible says is go and be baptized. Repent of your sin and be baptized. And we're going to have baptisms if anybody's interested. You came to church today, you're not prepared. Who cares? Have you ever been baptized? Next application. Come up for prayer. We're going to have a prayer team up here for those of you who want to pray. You know, Mark 9, 23, 24 says, And Jesus said to them, All things are possible to him who believes. And the man replied, I do believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. We've all got a level of unbelief. Or am I the only one? We've all got a level of unbelief. We want to pray with you. If you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with your belief, we want to help you. In fact, we as a church, or we as a leadership team, what we desire is to help everybody grow in their faith. We're no different than you are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to help each other. The next application, uh, get into God's Word. Are you in God's Word on a regular basis? Because if you're not, logically speaking, you're crazy. You're crazy. How are you going to get to know the God who loves you and who created you if you never study His Word? And on that, on that note, it's okay to say, I don't know if I really believe it. It's okay. You're being intellectually honest with yourself. If you believe that the Bible is not true, great, let's talk about it. Final application. Get involved. I dare you to drop a few things in your life and get involved with your church, your local church. Because what we want to do as a church is to help as many people come to Christ and and have an accurate picture of who He is. Are you doing that in your life? Statistics tell us that 80% of this room aren't involved. They don't do anything. Guys, we're not the church, the people up on this stage. We're the church. We're the ones that God has called to go reach Simi Valley and the surrounding areas. It's not me. I'm just one of us. Are you involved in that process? And again, we as a leadership team want to help you. We want to put you on a team if you're willing to be on a team. We want to teach you if you're willing to be taught. In fact, one of the things that we're going to show a quick video on here is is small groups. Now, we are growing, you know, as a, as a church, we're very big. And what small groups does is it brings, makes a big church small. Just imagine all of a sudden you're in a room of 12 people, 10 people, whatever, and you're asking those dumb questions you always wanted to ask. Because we've all got them. But we're all kind of intimidating. We don't really want... <laughs> I've been in a small group for 10 years. And the great thing about the small group is when you bring up one of those questions or one of those issues of sin or whatever in your life, 
somebody in the group usually says, man, I, I, I'm dealing with that too. But we so get into this little world where I'm not really, I'm not sure if I'm really, I don't think I, you're not alone. You're not alone. We love you. God loves you. So we're going to show a video about small groups, and I'm going to be finished with saying this. Do you believe that God loves you? God loves you. Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, it is my, my opinion that we should be a little more excited about it. When was the last time somebody said to you, why do you smile so much? And then you said, let me tell you about my Lord. You see, I was on my way to hell for eternity and Jesus came down and he took all of the punishment that I deserve. Can you believe that? Guess what? You just evangelized. Why don't we smile more? Why aren't we more excited as Christians? When we're singing praise to God, why aren't we coming out of our seats? Because we're so amazed at what He's done for us. And that this perfectly holy and just God loves me. Every one of us. That should be the most exciting thing in your life. So, here's the video. Consider a small group. Consider getting involved. Consider coming up to pray with us, to make a declaration of faith, to get baptized. But whatever you do, don't leave this room today without going to the next level of your belief.